Welcome back to another episode of Connected Columbus. My name is Sari Gogasetti, a member of the Outreach Committee. And I'm Milena Desta, also a member of the Outreach Committee. And we are here with the CEO and Director of Youth for STEM Equity, Laksh Deer. Laksh, could you give our listeners a little background on who you are and what you do? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, first of all. I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk about uh, YC and his mission. So I am a second year at the highest university here, um, majoring in neuroscience and I'm minoring in economics. And yeah, that's just been what's going on so far. Could you tell us a little bit about this nonprofit that you started, YC? Yeah, so um, YC was one of the passion projects I had an idea of in my mind starting high school. Um, the first, the one I actually incorporated it, if you actually look at the records, was uh, around 20, in 2021, in the summer of 2021, which is like the transition between junior year and senior year. Because um, it's overall like the idea of trying to promote a more equitable in- environment for STEM is something that has been with a mission of, uh, it's been a mission of mine for a long time, but I just haven't had a way to translate it into something more concrete. Um, a little backstory to that is because I um, I'm, I immigrated to the U.S. in 2012, but when I immigrated, I actually stayed in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was staying in one of like the centers of it. And I remember that going to school every day, it was like, I feel like a, a lot of it was the way the education system there was organized. You know, you kind of don't know like what is a, like a good schooling system, what's a bad schooling system when you're growing up in like the same school district for a lot of people. But I had the opportunity that I started off there and the environment there was very like, you know, sports focused and you don't really see people talk about at least the school I was from, like uh, academics and especially STEM that much. And for the people who do, it's not organized very well as other places would. So when I came to Dublin, Ohio from Atlanta, Georgia, I was like very shocked on how everything was coming here. There was like after school programs, gifted programs, STEM support programs, like tutors coming in from colleges, programming. And I was like, just taken away. I was like, wow, like I didn't even realize like all this stuff could happen in a school. So I kind of just, it just kind of gives you like a shock almost to see like, you know, what, even if you're, you know, United States is one country, but what is in one place is so different from another place. And I was like, yeah, like it's something now I want to bring to here for the kids who maybe not going, it has the same experiences that I do. But in a way, that's more fun. And it's in a way that, you know, even if I would say STEM is not the main topic or school is not the main topic, we can present it in a way that's fun for them and education at the same time. So they're more likely to be, want to do it more, like be more engaged. Yeah, that sounds so interesting. And like where you came from and like all the backgrounds you had, like it just sounds like you had a very long journey and um, I commend you for that. So thank you. um, And like starting a nonprofit, like you said, like you had that idea in high school and it sounds like a very lengthy process. Um, could you tell us a little bit about like getting that started and like what your foundation was like? Yeah, so I would say this is a pretty good question because I mean, a lot of people say their path to where they are right now is not linear, but I would say like, I don't want to repeat the cliche, but it was, I would say it was definitely non-linear and it was definitely like in a way that you could ex- expect at the least because um it was, so I am like a person that, like, I was just a very science-focused person. Like, I'm, like, even in high school, 
I was all about, you know, science, all that. I'm currently pre-med, so I was all about, like, I was very interested in, like, the whole healthcare field. And um, when it came to starting nonprofits, I actually was, like, pretty clueless. Like, I, I didn't know, like, anything really, like, what a business even was. Like, I, like, I just know, like, you just, everything's like a business. Like, you buy stuff, and then people sell things, and it's kind of like an exchange. Nonprofits run, but I didn't have any idea, you know, how, what, like, even a nonprofit is. But now we're like in like a digital age. So I think the first thing that I did was even when I had the idea, I, I, I just look like I went on online and I was like, you know, is it appropriate to open a nonprofit? You know, if, if should I open a nonprofit or should I just do like a one-time community initiative and all of that? And, um, with the knowledge that I got there, I decided like it was best because I wanted to do something that was m more impactful than a one-time thing. I wanted to extend like a new way of learning in schools which i'll probably touch more on later a new way of learning that uh, it serves as a way to enhance what people are getting right now and I, that wouldn't be possible if i try to do a one time you know one time learning enhancement is not li a lifelong worth of learning so it's kind of i decided to do that and it was a very very long process especially like in the state of like ohio and a lot of other states too where have to go and have to obviously get the legal documentation. And, but the most important thing about being a nonprofit that a lot of people don't realize is not only it's what you're doing, but it's like the way you present yourself. People have a really hard time pay, like listening to you if you don't present yourself well. And that's a fact of the matter that if it's better, the sooner you realize that you could be the best in the world at something, but nobody wanted would listen to you. I don't know if um, there has been a TED talk on it, but there was like a thing about... Uh, I saw like something about a viol uh, someone who plays like a violin, like uh, one of the people, he was like the best in the world at playing the violin. Like he could um, book out stadiums where like a hundred thousand people come to just watch him put the violin. But when he played it, his violin in the New York subway station, not one person would like stopped by to see him because there was no name attached. There was no brand attached. So it's kind of just going in, getting the name Youth for STEM Equity, branding, forming a team and, you know, getting the name out there, connections. But yeah. That's really interesting about you saying like how the way that you present yourself is everything I guess in this day and age especially because marketing is like so up there and I think that your minor in economics is does that like have something to do with how you want to brand youth for STEM equity in the future? Yeah so the main reason I was not initially economics major but the reason I picked economics is because as more I started running youth for STEM equity more like a business I got a register and all that, and I started hiring people and having uh, running everything slowly. Learning, I realized that um, like the whole area of policy change and business is something I really enjoyed doing. Um, I liked the way we can have the ability to make businesses that can have a big impact on a large group of people, versus what's something we can do by ourselves. And I, I feel like that directly aligns with like healthcare. You know, anyone that's wanting to enter the field of healthcare, they want to do something positive for people's quality of life and affect them in more ways so i feel like it is even though um it seems like a little different at the end of the day they're kind of overlying uh, economics when someone says economics they think of wall street like money but the well, first time you take an economics class like the first chapter the lecture they teach you is that economics is not the study of money but it's the study of what how and why people make the choices they do so that's that's very very interesting and i'm glad that you brought that brought that up like we were talking about like how you started and like how it was a rocky situation like for most nonprofits I'm definitely sure but like how did you get the traction like how like how did you get that popularity that 
funding and like who believed in you first? Yeah, so this was something that I feel like be, uh, could have made or break whether I was sitting here sitting with you guys and talking on this podcast now or not. Because um, I know we talked about it a little bit in the pre-interview that we were momentarily disillusioned after we formed. Well, that I, that is because um, another core component of running a nonprofit apart from presenting yourself is having a very solid team. Like you guys were just saying, uh, the TEDx at OSU have a, has a big leadership transition. And now every oh, you guys are sorting out all the kinks as new members come in and everybody gets settled in and all that. And that just like that, you know, when you start off as a smaller nonprofit, uh, it really, the work each person puts in becomes a lot more valuable in a very large corporation that has like a 50,000, 20,000 employees, you know, what one may do may not have that significant of a co uh, contribution. Uh, we could say like in a retrospective way uh, to what happens every day by day, but in like a small nonprofit when you start off, it does. So I actually started off with, it was me, you know, I, me being naive in the sense I asked like my close, first of all, I asked just like whoever's like my, I would say top five contacts that I knew my closest friends, I just messaged them like, even if they weren't even interested in like STEM equity, maybe that's not an issue that resigned aligned with them at the moment. I was like, you know, I'm starting a nonprofit. Do you want to, I just like giving out position like, oh, do you want to just be like the, at the time I didn't have CEO, all this like formal because I didn't know how to run. I was like, you know, president, I'll be, you'll be vice president. You'll be, I don't know, director of media, director of development. But I quickly found out that's not a way to start a nonprofit. You just don't hand that stuff out to people that may not even be interested. Because what ends up happening is that um, when people I, I, when people ask you know, how you get a nonprofit set up or how you get a business set up, if you ask your closest friends, that's good, but you need to know who your closest friends are. Because what a lot of time happens is the people that you are closest with you may not be the best people to work with. Because a lot of the time they may take like your friendship for granted. Like, oh, if I don't do this task by this deadline, he's my friend. He's not going to say anything. And then now you're in a dilemma. Like, am I going to say something that's going to potentially ruin our friendship? Or am I not going to say anything? It's like kind of conflicting viewpoints. So had a lot of issue with that. I, you know, we, I actually kind of worked by myself in the beginning, got like a startup pitch going. There was a local law firm in Dublin that gave us a, a like, which I was surprised about. I was, you know, you just have to put yourself out there, give us a grant of about $20,000. And we kind of used that to invest in ourselves, grow our capacity program, um, market higher and things like that. But when we had that transition from high school to college, you know, it, everything really fell apart because initially I, I would say um, I, I, me and like two other people in the organization or like three other people were kind of handling everything. Because even though we had like about 15 people then, there was only like three, four putting in the work to actually make it happen. So it kind of just fell apart. Like it, it was completely gone. Uh, like I, but I didn't file the paper dissolution. So, but I would say like just me not wanting to file is probably the best decision I ever made because, um, uh, I ended up, you know, restarting it and there's a, and restarting it not too long ago. I would say it's been almost a year since it's been restarted. I kind of made that decision when I came to high school, uh, because in, in beginning of in high school, there was no resources like college has. You guys probably realize that coming in and, um, people are not doing what you want them to do. And now, and now I'm more mature. I researched more now on how to make a business and like watched, read a lot of documents provided by the state. I had a lot of, like was on a lot of interviews and things like that. So 
is actually ran a lot more official now, filing people in. And again, I ran with the issue, who should I take in? Who should I not? Who's going to really believe in my mission? And when you're starting off, it's really difficult to make people be like believe in you. Like, you know, at your point, you're like nothing. Like you have achieved nothing. Uh, like starting off, you're basically like idea in somebody's head, like a business idea. People don't have to spend 10 hours. They don't, they don't have to take 10 hours out of their week to work on something that's meaningless. But like I would just say the people that I found are like still with me. They like put even though like they there was nothing they put in like they work 15, 20 hours a week apart from all their regular schoolwork, being pre-med, being pre-business and all that and put it in. Right now, I would say my team is about team of 12. Uh, we're, we're hiring right now. So it's expanding to 33 people to because wow. we're kind of overgrowing our capacity right now. Our 12 of us can't handle everything based on everything that's going on right now. So we're trying to expand to 33. But I was just going to give a shout out to the original 12 people, uh, to the original 12 people that put in the work. Obviously, my CEO, Sneha Prabhu, my CLO, Kavya Jayanti, they put in so much work. They were the three people that restarted it. But Natalie Stover is my fundraising director. Varshini is my outreach director. Mm -hmm. She also, Varshini has also put in a good amount of work alongside Natalie. Um, and Kritika Mishra, um, uh, now it's like Kevin Alfred. They all have put in countless hours of work on honor of He's also chief financial officer. And everyone under them, I mean, they've put in a tremendous amount of work, and I'm proud. So I know that you mentioned that the move from Atlanta to Dublin really, like, gave you an idea of that disparity between, like, academics and sports in different schools and, like, overall how STEM is being spread to different students. Um, so I wanted to know, like, was that your initial spark to start YSC? Like, what were you curious about? Like, why are you so passionate about youth for STEM equity? Yeah, so I'll, an I'll answer it um, in, like, a, like, that's a good question. I'll answer it in a way that will, like, kind of show you guys. So can you, what, mm -hmm. can you say what you're majoring in? I'm majoring in EADS. It's uh, environment. environment economics. Yeah. What are you majoring in? Psychology. Psychology. I know you're out of it, but yeah. Um, so psychology and environmental economics, right? So w so for your psychology, do you think, would you consider psychology as a science or as more of a humanities? Mm, um, I mean, like, there's a BA and a BS, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's Bachelor of Arts, Bachelor of Science. So both. Um, but like, are you saying more one or the other? I would say more humanities. More humanities, yeah. and you, yours is probably considered. It's a, it's a BS. Yeah. BS. Mm -hmm. So you consider environmental economics more science um, oriented. I think that it takes like a good amount of understanding like the humanities behind it because mm -hmm. obviously like when it comes to understanding the environment and understanding the economy, you need to like have uh, information about people and like mm -hmm. the world that you're surrounding it with, but. So, yeah, I would say it's a good mix. It, there is a lot of science, though. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. 100%. Yeah. And even with humanities and science, when you're in fields like psychology and environmental economics, you guys are taking STEM classes before in high school or now, right? Mm -hmm. And so, in your experience, do you think, I've seen, I've always gotten these two answers. Do you guys like doing stuff that's more hands-on, or do you guys like going more like the presentation style? What do you think you're best learning? I think that, I'm probably best presentation style. Mm -hmm. Like, mm. when it comes to, I know a lot of people say it's, but I yeah. really don't like doing lab work. Yeah. Like, it's not my, when it comes to, like, doing research, mm -hmm. I think that's different if it's, like, social science-based research. Mm -hmm. Like, I like the overall, like, aspect of, like, interviewing and stuff like that, but I don't like doing research that has to do with, like, overall, like, cells or, like, things, yeah. things of that nature. No, yeah. 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 I would say the opposite, mm -hmm. because, like, psychology, like, I'm 
planning to go into the clinical psychology field and that's where you need to be hands-on with people and that's where you really need to talk with them um and i'm taking the psych psychology of adjustment class and mm -hmm. i think i'm learning more than where it would be presentation style and um i'm I've, like in the last episode i said i was a very big volunteer mm -hmm. and i love volunteering and that really implemented that idea that psychology is very important so I would, um, I'm the opposite. <laughs> yeah, but I find the very, so you, I think of one point that I was found interesting you mentioned is that you don't like the typical research, like wet yeah. lab, or what do you say, what, just the general lab work doesn't have to be wet lab. Yeah. If it's what, something, what about it um, bring, strays you away from it? I think that overall, I don't like to be super exact when it comes to things. <laughs> I'm more of like a, oh, like learn more as I go. And when it comes to like doing scientific lab work, like, you have to have like a certain amount of milliliters like you have to measure a certain amount of significant <laughs> figures like in grams and stuff like that so it's like i don't know i don't maybe i'm not like a very like small scale analytical person i like to think of like the big picture of things mm -hmm. so i think that when it comes to presenting um i'm just more comfortable yeah no 100 percent. no 100 percent. and my last question is um apart from just school in general if you reflect on your personal life uh, since ever your kid, did you uh, like things like just growing up, even now, like like puzzle, brain activities, games, things like that? Have you ever been into any of those? Um, I like crossword puzzles. You like crossword puzzles, right? <laughs> I like, yeah, I like crossword puzzles. Um, I like, that's about it, really, like picture puzzles. Sometimes I'll do like the, what's it called? Like the New York Times every day. And then, Wordle? you know, like Wordle, yes. <laughs> I like Wordle. I like doing Wordle. I like wordy kind of thing so so now if you reflect on everything you said it all kind of connects together you said you don't like what you don't like research in terms of traditional perspective of research yeah. because you don't like the exactness of it you like to learn as you go mm -hmm. you said ever like since you're a kid the one thing you actually liked was crossword puzzles and crossword is a lot that you fill in words and you learn what the next thing is as you go right. and current education system has made that mistake where it's kind of made the field of engaging with content like oh my god there's a right wrong answer you have to be precise you know mm -hmm. if you don't do this a certain way it's wrong or like if you don't when you're doing even high work with your hands you have to have you know there's a gray area you know right. there's a lot you have that goes into it and you, there's, you just can't learn from that like you come out of like like I, I if you guys know what COSI is yeah the museum like right so like if you go in like a science museum it's so cool you do a bunch of activities a bunch of hands-on stuff you come out of it and then you're like, what did you learn? I, I just did a bunch of cool stuff. I didn't learn anything. Like, I probably remember a few things like, oh, that was an embryo because embryo develops third trimester or whatever. But you don't really come out of it long term knowing anything. So I feel like that is where the current, for, especially for K-8, the, uh, the current system is really made it like, you know, you learn, take notes, study. But if you're doing stuff hands-on, you're not going to retain it. And that's what we came up with a new style of learning that promotes learning as you go and learn uh, learning as you go that involves working with other people so you come out of it knowing more than you would as a presentation style right. yeah and the concept that i can go more into if you guys want to know is like using stem escape rooms as a way to teach kids in class mm -hmm. content so, yeah do you want to go into that about like stemscapes yeah so stem escape rooms is like the new model of learning that we kind of want are wanting to integrate into classrooms Right now, we don't want it to be supplementary because presentation style is very much a good way to learn. Uh, uh, right now, we we can't we can only make it complementary by doing events throughout and and uh, convincing teachers that it's you know better for long term retention. And um, 
for overall with that when I go in to the different classrooms and uh, we have all these teachers that are willing to learn, we kind of make it more supplementary because we give teachers trainings later on so that they'll be able to make STEM escape rooms for their own classroom. And STEM escape rooms, pretty much as you think it is, um, it's adaptable enough that it can be made in a underdeveloped classroom and it can be as intricate that we can make it inside museums. It involves um, making, like, oh, I'll give you a perspective of a classroom. It involves having guided mentor stations where the kids work together to solve puzzles and they kind of leverage that to get a clue on each station and based on the information they're retaining from uh, all the experiments interactive hands-on activities they're doing that is repetitively reinforced by our mentors and the teachers they use it to get like the final answer that they can use to escape from the situation or things like that like um one that we're prototyping soon is called um mission to mars where the people are stuck on Mars and they have to work together to find clue to get back to Earth. And they do a little bunch of cool experiments like zero gravity, how to make oxygen, rocket fuel chemistry, and things like that. Wow. Where wow. exactly are you implementing these? Yeah, so we started off just doing simple activities that were pretty much like any other STEM place could do in the library system. Our initiative was called Stories in STEM, um, where we read stories based on an activity we were going to do, and we kind of went on with that. And one of our going for current community and thought partners, COSI actually told us, the chief diversity officer for COSI told us that it was pretty simplistic and there's not much long term. And that's when we went ahead and found Stemscapes. So right now, when we're going under market research, so our two advisors right now, uh, Dr. Claudia Bookman and Dr. Sophia Zhang, they have connections with schools. So we're going to increasingly implement them in the schooling system. Uh, in around Columbus. I know uh, we're also in group after school programs and things like that. I know in two weeks there's a very there's a school, K through eight school in an underserved community within Cleveland that we're launch that we're also testing it in two weeks and just basically collecting data from in around for different age groups, not of uh, different socioeconomic backgrounds and doing like market general market research surveys to find out whether or not it even works or not. Actually, in the last episode with our outreach director, Danny Hala, we mentioned our partnership with after school all star, which is like, Outreach's way of like teaching elementary students about like the podcast industry and like how to create their own podcast. And so like, I guess in that way, both of our organizations are like very philanthropic and um, like we want to help students like create their own way in the world, like either through public speaking or in this instance through STEM. So I just like wanted to say that was like very interesting. Um, but like continuing on with like the future of YSC, how are you planning to grow it in the future? Yeah, um, I would say in our next five years, it's pretty nuanced of what we're planning on doing. Um, for the sake of, uh, in like a summary, we're obviously planning, obviously, we're obviously going starting off with using STEM escape rooms inside classrooms uh, right now. I serve as a complementary. We eventually want to be able to train teachers to make it for their own curriculums. So they kind of use it in their own classrooms to kind of help their kids learn better. And a lot of these underserved communities where academics might not be the first priority, that's how our STEM escape room comes in. And that's where the teachers come in because once they know how to make it, they know what the main interests are. For example, if a community is very intrigued about f football, even though, they, even though they, uh, you know, academics is really important, like, and especially STEM, they might be able to make curriculums that involves uh, application-based uh, football and make escape rooms based on that, like, you know, physics problem, computer science problem, and the, the, the scope's endless. Like, and we obviously will have uh, 
things people like Delong going on to help us were our organizations like HQ'd in Columbus. So we're obviously gonna have other people in around. We're, we've opened our first. We're over op, opened our first chapter. Re, it's opening soon at OSU. That we're currently yeah thank you. That we're currently hiring for around like in our Insta, our Instagram and things like that. And we're trying to get people and kind of open more chapters. So even though we're taking up HQ, there are other people that can take other places around U.S. and kind of ripple effect eventually to a point where our model becomes less B to C, so business to uh, customer, more business to business. Works with non where we work with other nonprofits and museums to make like actual real life like engineered STEM escape rooms. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I think it's really admirable the amount that you've been able to achieve over in the span of like pretty much a couple of years mm -hmm. even. Yeah. Um, the fact that you're like venturing into COSI and even OSU is just like really remarkable. Yeah, and you're yeah. our age and like I think I it's very, like I feel that's like I'm just like a psychology major and like yeah. that's, um, it's very inspiring and like I think our listeners will like, our listeners will very like, will take inspiration from that and yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Like, I know that you mentioned getting your footings with the nonprofit and overall, like, what got into making the nonprofit mm -hmm. when it came from the move from Atlanta to Dublin and overall the amount of, like, you know, the STEM disparities. So, like, over the span of this episode, from everything that you shared, we just wanted to know, to conclude, what is one piece of advice that you have received um, that helped you start your nonprofit and what would you like to share with our listeners about it? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give an answer in twofold. First, I would say know your audience know why you're doing it have a purpose you can, really can't get anywhere unless you have a purpose and passion talk to a lot of people i when i was, was restarting it i talked to so many people um i talked to even people on campus um like i know like if i for example i talked uh talked to people like you know buckeithon yeah. like uh, leadership in buckeithon and what makes their organization successful and how to what to implement that people in smile child um, people in Aura, those two organizations, one actually Buckeye Accelerated last year, so they have some good advice to give. But my more, I would say philosophical answer would be that something that I would guess gets like motivates me to work and inspires me is that uh, someone told me once that if it wasn't difficult, then it wouldn't be valuable. The reason it va it's, it is valuable is because it's difficult and you know you can't really uh, achieve anything value in this world unless you choose to put yourself through that the difficult environment but yeah yeah that person that we need to get that person on here because it seems like he has like a that's yeah. a great they have like honestly. a lot of insight mm -hmm. yeah but thank you so much lecturer this this conversation and thank you for your insights we really really appreciated it yeah and thank you for coming on yeah. no thank you guys so much and good luck with everything and like the all-star programs that sounds pretty fun thank you thank good you. luck with you your well. program yeah Thanks for listening to another episode of Connected Columbus. If you'd like to hear more, you can follow us on Instagram at TEDxOhioStateU.